seven, Stan Hey, 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 happy Thursday, Mets fans, how you doing? I know we're not doing too great if we're talking about the Mets in last night's game. Without a doubt, it was a heartbreaker. It was spinning overhead. We were drowning in the preseason promise. And let's talk about this season. It's better left unsaid. What can you do? We are not the invincible winner. And... Were we born to be Met fans? Yes, you are born to be Met fans, and that's why we're here. We're here to talk about the Mets. Another extra inning heartbreaker. And isn't that kind of the mode for this season? Another 1-1 loss? Are you getting tired of it? Because 1-1s are a matter of execution in the widowest ways and the widowest plays. The little things add up to 1-1 one, one victories. Sure, there is an element of luck involved in 1-1 one, one games. It usually comes down to just executing at the right time. But last night, we ran, ran into Sandy Alcantara, and he was a force. He was Hercules over nine innings, overwhelming the Mets. And it left the Mets walking off the field for the second time in three days as the home team celebrated. And that, my friends, is never good. Edwin Diaz surrendered an RBI single to Brian De La Cruz in the 10th inning. Now, should they have been pitching to him? I don't know about that. But they sent the Mets to a third loss in five games. Two to one loss to the Marlins at Lone Depot Park. Now, it was a golden opportunity for the Mets to gain some ground on the Braves. And now we still remain four games behind them in the NL East. After automatic runner Jazz Chisholm Jr. was bunted to third base to begin the 10th, Diaz struck out Jesus Sanchez. But De La Cruz ended it with a shot over Albert Obora's head in center field. I got a kick out of Diaz pointing up the sky like that ball was going to be caught, but that was a shot. I think Diaz was just praying to God for that ball not to be caught. Now, Alcantara was close to untouchable, firing 114 pitches over 9 innings. Butch allowed one run on four hits with a career-high 14 strikeouts. The right-hander was still hitting triple digits in the eighth inning when he tired Dominic Smith on a ground off a 102-mile-per-hour fastball. Let's face it, he threw an unbelievable game last night. Conforto's homers in the seventh accounted for the Mets' only run. Conforto smashed a 93-mile-per-hour changeup, bringing life to a team that had been without a hit since the second inning. Alcantara had command and he had stuff last night. And you got to tip your head, hat to the guy. He went on 14 pitches. And you don't see that very often. He had everything working in, uh, for him the whole damn game. Again, I sound like Bob Murphy here. The whole damn game. Now the Mets took their best shot in the 10th inning against Anthony Bender, but Javier Baez's shot to right field was ruled dropped in foul territory by Sanchez. And Cole stood on replay. Some are still disputing whether or not that actually was a fair or foul ball. I can't tell. But, you know, it is what it is. And we have to live with the ultimate decision, I guess. 
Uh, sign of the times for the Metropolitans. What are you going to do? Baez and Jeff McNeil were then retired before Louis Guillaume walked and manager Louis Rojas summoned Patrick Mazika. Yes, Mazika. Who thought we'd be talking about Patrick Mazika this late in the season? Yeah, Mazika. He grounded out the pitcher uh, and left J.D. Davis on the on-deck circle. Now, the guy that they were facing, Bender, at the time, uh, he has a pretty good cider, sinker-slider mix, and uh, he looked really tough on the righties. And they were questioning why the Mets went for the pinch-hit decision there, uh, just to bring the lefty bat with two outs, thinking it was going to be a little tougher for Bender and Mazika put the ball in play. But I hate to say this, but it seems like Rojas's decisions are just backfiring lately, and I think he's getting closer to being one foot out the door, to be honest with you. I know fan sentiment isn't that good for uh, Louie right now. But we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks, I guess. That's all we can do. Eh, frustrating. I know. It's always frustrating being a Met fan, isn't it? But the good news is Rich Hill did pitch an unbelievable game. And that was very, very good to see. And he's actually done well his last few starts out, so no complaints here about Rich. Uh, he did what he had to do. And again, Mets came up a little short and wasted a good effort by him. Hill only allowed uh, five hits and eight strikeouts over six innings and followed a six-inning shutout in Washington last Friday in which he allowed only three hits. So he did his job. You can't blame it on him. It was the third straight down performance for Diaz who blew consecutive save opportunities in Washington over the weekend, including Monday's 4-3 loss. The run was unearned per the extra inning rules. Now Seth Lugo walked the tightrope in the ninth, loading the bases one out before striking out Miguel Rojas and retiring Chisholm, sending the Mets to extra innings for the third time on this road trip. Familia and Whoop induced inning-ending double plays in the 7th and 8th innings, respectively, to keep it 1-1. So the bullpen was keeping it tight in tough situations, and you got to applaud them. But sooner or later, that bubble always burst. And But Familia did get Rojas in a double play grounder after McMahon, McCann threw away Alcantara's sacrifice bunt, attempting to nail the lead runner at 2nd. Whoop got David Cruz on a double play grounder in the 8th after allowing two singles in the inning. Alcantara stifled the Mets for six innings before Conforto cleared the fence in right center in the seventh to tie it 1-1. Conforto's blast was his 12th of the season and fourth in the past 11 games. And uh, the only thing that Hill kind of struggled with was when he surrendered an RBI single in a second to Alex Jack Jackson that gave the Marlins a 1-0 lead. Uh but other than that, I have no complaints at all about Alex. What am I talking about? Throwing the why I'm in Rich Hill. <laughs> Pardon me, folks. Uh, Hill, like I said, Hill surrendered that RBI single. And uh, David Cruz doubled to begin the rally for Jackson delivered with two outs. Hill allowed another single in the inning, but escaped by striking out Alcantara. Mets missed an opportunity a second, wasting a leadoff single by as in Kevin Pollard's hit by pitch. 
as McCann hit into an inning-ending double play. Baez's single was the Mets' last hit until Conforto's home in the seventh. Now, obviously, they're down at crunch time, and every game is a must-win situation. And when you run to hot pitching, that's the kind of thing that can set you back. So you need a good-pitched game, but sometimes that throws the Mets' bats into a kilter if you go by past performance here. So hopefully the Mets can bounce back today and get the, the bats go. Well, after that nice game, I guess the uh, Louis Rojas decision-making process is going to be even questioned even further. Uh, his decision on Diaz kind of backfired yesterday. Now, first base was open. And a hot hitter was at the plate, followed by an ice-cold one. But Rojas didn't hesitate. The manager had faith in Edwin Diaz, and I give him credit for that. But sometimes, if he's a guy who's always going to play the percentages, I think you go against the cold hitter. Rojas said he trusted his closer right there in a matchup righty-righty. Diaz's stuff always plays well. He's not a guy that gets hit around. But it did turn out to be a mistake that cost them at the game they desperately needed. Brian De La Cruz blasted Diaz fastball off the center field fence. And that was all she wrote. So, after bowling consecutive saves against the Nationals, Diaz came within one out of getting out of the inning. After Magnarius Sierra bunted Jazz Chisholm Jr. to third, Diaz struck out Jesus Sanchez. And then came the pivotal bat. Now, like I said before, De La Cruz has been red hot. He's a 24-year-old rookie, and he's having a strong season. He's slashing 342, 391, 479 with an 869 OPS. And already had two hits on Wednesday night. Behind him was Luan Diaz, who had just four hits all season and 37 at-bats. Edwin Diaz actually has similar numbers this year. And during his career against left-handed and right-handed batters, the previous batter he struck out was a left-handed hitter. It didn't change Rojas' decision. Uh, and Rojas basically said Diaz is so good against both, that's why he didn't have a problem with him pitching to any hitter. Uh, D Rojas really endorsed Diaz by saying he's a big league closer. He's one of the best. He's been through uh, some tough times. And... Uh, but he did have confidence in him. Now, that wasn't the only move debated that happened in the 10th inning. Rojas also opted to hit for catcher James McCann runners on the corners with two outs. But instead of J.D. Davis, he went with Patrick Mazika because the pitcher, Anthony Bender, had a slider that was tough on right-handed hitters and Mazika bats left-handed. So, it seems like no matter what Mr. Rojas is doing lately, it's not working out the way he had hoped. Uh, I feel bad for the guy. I think Rojas is a nice guy in general. Uh, but you got to manage to win. And sometimes I think he overthinks it so much that's going to cost him. I think that only comes with experience. Uh, maybe the experience of this year will change his outlook next year when these situations occur. But it remains to be seen whether or not he will be given that opportunity. Now, of course, we're always looking to see how Brandon Nimmo and Jacob DeGrom are doing as far as their rehabs are concerned. Now, Nimmo is encouraged by his early progress in rehabbing his strained right hamstring. The men outfielder tested his leg the last two days, 
jogging about half speed before increasing in intensity uh, somewhat on Wednesday without discomfort. He's hopeful his absence from the Mets lineup won't extend much beyond the minimum 10-day injured list stint. Nimmo has been taking swings and throwing, so that's a good thing. And he would like to think that some of the work he was putting in, taking care of his body, is paying off now. Uh, so hopefully the progress continues and he'll be back sooner and sooner than anticipated. He's saying it feels great, uh, but he hasn't sprinted. That'll be the last thing to come, so it's hard to say right now because that is the ultimate test is when you sprint. Now, Jacob did not, DeGrom did not throw a pregame, but manager Louis Earl has indicated the right-hander remains on schedule and building up for a possible return this season. There is no step back, said Rojas. Uh, and he was responding to a question about uh, DeGrom's progress so far. So uh, sometimes no news is good news as far as Jacob's concerned. But we would like to see Jacob back, wouldn't we? Uh, now you have to remember that it's been a while now. DeGrom hasn't pitched since July 7th. And uh, that kind of coincides with the Met downfall. Now, Noah Syndergaard also falls into this soon category of throwing from a mound, according to Rojas. After returning from COVID-19 protocol, Syndergaard has been long-tossing for two days at City Field. He spent the previous 10 days in quarantine, keeping loose by throwing into a bedsheet. Now, Nimmo, who grew up in Wyoming rooting for the Rockies, said he was thrilled for Larry Walker, a boyhood hero of his, for getting into Cooperstown. Nimmo said, I love the way he played the game. And his swing was beautiful as well. He was a guy who grew up in cold weather in Canada, and so it's a big inspiration to guys like him. And Nemo said he'd like to meet the new Hall of Fame inductee, Derek Jeter. Who wouldn't? Uh, Nemo says, I wouldn't, won't be afraid to admit that I wasn't really a Yankee fan when I was young, but I had a ton of respect for Derek Jeter and the way he played the game and the way he went about his business and his life. Uh, Nemo said, I do respect the man a lot and what he did in career and the goals he set and how much he was able to win, so I'd love to meet him someday. And that's always good to see when modern-day players respect those who played the game before them. And while I'm here, I want to wish uh, uh, Derek Jeter, Ted Simmons, Larry Walker, and Marvin Miller congratulations on admission to the Hall of Fame. Uh, well-deserved honor for all four. They did make their marks well for baseball. Now, one thing I was happy to see was that Aaron Whoop wants to re-sign with the Mets. And what a season he's had. Take away DeGrom from the occasion, he's probably been the best, best Met pitcher besides Jake. Uh, now, he came to the Mets knowing he was in a high-pressure situation. Uh... But while other additions to teams have heard boo this season, a 33-year-old lefty reliever has been serenaded to a similar sound with 180-degree meaning. He hears the whoops, not the boos. And the reason why, he's entered play with a 1.11 ERA and 0 .94, 0 0.904 whip in 57 appearances. And he has been the brightest spot in the bullpen that has been a team strength throughout the season. Now, Whoop arrived on a one-year contract worth $3 million. And admits he's enjoyed his time with the Mets enough to get start thinking beyond the season. He does say he hopes they intend to sign him back, and I sure hope they do. Uh, his highlights entering play included 50 of 57 appearances that were scoreless, and he allowed just eight of his previous 27 inherited runners to score. 
Whether it's been a matchup situation or completed inning or pitching an entire frame, Whoop has thrived. The Whoop, it's basically about pitching to weak contact. He ranks in the 99th percentile, according to baseball savant, in barrels against him. Overall, just 2.5% of the balls hit against Whoop this season have been on barrel. And even Seth Lugo says he's just filthy. When he goes in the game, everybody knows that everyone is about to get out. He never really paid attention to him before, Seth Lugo, but uh, last year in the postseason for the Rays a little bit, he realized how good he was until uh, he saw him pitch this year and realized how really good he was. Now, Loop enjoyed strong season for the Blue Jays early in his career, but didn't reemerge as something of a presence till 2020 when he pitched to a 2.52 ERA with 0.84 whip and 24 appearances with Tampa Bay. Now, after the Mets missed out on free agent Brad Handel last, last winter, remember he signed with the Nationals, they turned to Loop and haven't regretted it. Hand, meanwhile, as the tide turns, recently claimed off waivers by the Mets and was added to the bullpen. And Loop even says this is definitely one of, if not the best bullpen I've been part of from start to finish. It's been different guys, just not myself. Everybody's having good years down there. Everybody has pitched out a big situation at some point. It's never the same guy each night, which makes it fun. He said, you kind of know that as the game goes along, whose spot is going to pitch where at this point, but every night it's someone different. I've gotten out of big jams, he said. Familia's gotten out of big jams. Lugo, May, everybody. Then you add an all-star and a closer, and it seems like we can do no wrong at this point. Well, except for yesterday. <laughs> and a couple of days before. But Whoop has been something of a cold hero because of his penchant for enjoying, enjoying a bush light after the game, something to which he first made reference to during spring training. He was asked if his fondness for the brand has led to an endorsement deal, and uh, he said, I have not. He has not heard about it. But there's a, a Whoop and a Bud Light commercial in the future, I think. Uh, so he, he says he hasn't been pushing it too much because he's not on uh, social media but it would be nice to see at least in the New York area have him on a commercial uh, but Loop said he's got so much to deal with on the field and everything throughout the course of the year social media to me is an added distraction that you don't necessarily need and I agree Especially when you got guys like me yapping about you on these podcasts, right? <laughs> now let's talk about one of my favorite Mets of all time. Uh, Matt Harvey. I think it's time to focus on Matt a little bit. And in some ways, he's even revitalized his career with the Orioles. And thank God the Orioles are so bad, so he got that chance. Now the former Mets starter has given the Orioles 27 starts and 123.1 innings this season after pitching just 71.1 innings combined in 2019 and 2020 for the Angels and the Royals. Now, after a rough start to the season, Harvey has pitched with 3.99 ERA in his last nine starts. Even John Means, the Orioles ace, said he's incredible, honestly. He's taught me a lot on how to push through some things. He's dealing with what's going on with him right now, just pushing through it and starting and making a start every five days. It's incredible to see what he's doing, going to the bullpen, doing everything right, and never coming to the field complaining. Mean says the man was on top of the world for three, four years and completely fell off. And he'll tell you that. And to have the demeanor that he has still is absolutely incredible. The mental capacity he has. To have struggled early on in the season and to pitch really well in the second half, it's been crazy. But you know what? I think it remains to be seen whether Harvey will continue making starts for Baltimore. 
which at 44-93 has the fewest wins in baseball, may want to shift their attention further to the future. Now, the good news for the Orioles is they have a slew of young arms to develop, including Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman, Keegan Aiken, and Chris Ellis on their roster, plus Dean Kremer and AAA Norfolk. Now, Harvey has a 6.28 ERA and his 14 losses are the most in the American League. The ERA is his best mark since 2018 after he posted an 11.57 in four 2020 starts and a 7.09 in 12 starts in 2019. His fielding independent pitching, which calculates an ERA based on what a pitcher can control, including walks, strikeouts, and home runs, is 4.66, which basically suggests he's one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball. So Harvey Horn, $1 million this season on a one-year deal, has likely extended his career to next year with his performance in Baltimore. The club might be better served going forward and giving some starts to the younger arms the rest of the way. But no matter what happens, I say congrats, Matt, on a good season. Uh, no one expected this from you, and I sure hope you're around for a few more years. I always enjoy watching you pitch. Okay, you know what that song means. It's time to celebrate some nip birthdays, and we got some dandies on tap for you today. First one we want to mention is Todd Zeal. Who remembers Todd Zeal? Well, if you're a Met fan and still watch the games, you see him just about every night as he's host of the pregame show for the Mets. Love Todd's colorful insights. And, more importantly, it's his birthday today. Todd was an integral part of the Met teams in 2000 and 2001. Part of that World Series team, and he was a big bat in that lineup. Had a big year in 2000 with 22 homers and 79 RBIs. Uh, pretty damn good hitter that year. Had a 467 slugging percentage. Another 531 at-bats in 2001 with 10 homers and 62 RBIs. And then he signed again with the Mets after they had traded him to the Colorado Rockies as a free agent in 2004 and had 348 bats in 2004. Uh, Todd's a popular guy, isn't he? And uh, we want to wish him a happy, happy birthday. Who else do we want to wish a happy birthday to? How about Mike Hampton? He was only one just one year, but he was part of that great, great team that we all remember, the 2010 Mets. He was the ace of that staff. One of the aces with Al Eider. 15 wins, 10 losses, and a 3.14 ERA. Gave the Mets a lot of innings, 217 innings. And uh, who'll ever get that gem he pitched in the uh, league championship series when he hurled the shutout with 13 Ks. Yeah, big game. Big, 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 big. Pitched 16 innings total in that league championship series without giving up a run. So then uh, the World Series, he unfortunately lost the game, but he was a main reason why we got there. So happy birthday to Mike Hampton. Who else is celebrating a birthday today? Speedster Billy Hamilton, who was with us in that 2020 season. Managed to steal three bases for us. Appeared in 17 games, 22 at-bats. And uh, it's his birthday today. One of the fastest guys to ever don a baseball uniform. So happy birthday to Billy Hamilton. And how about Kaz Ishii? It's his birthday today. Yes, happy birthday, Kaz. Way to go. He celebrates his 48th birthday today. In 2005, he pitched 19 games for us. Started 16 of them. Had a record of 3-9 with a 5.14 ERA. Happy birthday, Kiz. 
And unfortunately, we have to mourn the death of Richie Ashburn today. Uh, he passed away on this date in 1997. A great, great baseball man. Claimed to fame as a Hall of Fame outfielder with the Phillies. But he did play with us in 1962. And he had a 306 batting average and 389 at-bats. So he was one of the highlights of the first year of the Mets in 62. He led the Mets in singles with 102 that year. And tied for the Mets lead in stolen bases with 12. And he led the Mets with walks with 81. He had a great on-base percentage that year of 424. And Richie went on to have a great, great Hall of Fame broadcasting career with the Philadelphia Phillies. He is beloved in Philly. And we love him here in New York as being an original Met. So on this day, unfortunately, Richie passed away. But we have great memories. Now, you know what I'd like to do today? We want to go back in the time machine and go back to one of the most infamous, infamous games in Met history. Happened on September 9th in the miracle year of 1969. Yes, it is called the Black Cat Game. Now, after Jerry Kuzma's performance the previous inning, the Mets were on fire. They had won three straight and were now just one and a half games out of first place behind Leo DeRocher's Cubs. The Mets hosted the Cubs on this night as 51,448 paid came to Shea Stadium. And some are saying that the estimated crowd was actually 58,000 to see Gil Hodges' amazing Mets and two future Hall of Fame pitchers go at it. Tom Seaver, 20-7 for the Mets, and Fergie Jenkins, 19-12 for the Cubs. Here were the lineups on that day. Don Kessinger playing shortstop, leading off. Glenn Becker playing second base, batting second. Billy Williams batting third, left field. Ron Santo batting fourth, playing third base. Willie Smith batting fifth, playing first base. Jim Hickman batting sixth, playing right field. Randy Hunley catching, batting seventh. Oscar Gamble, yes, Oscar Gamble, batting eighth and in center field. And Fergie Jenkins pitching. Now the Met lineup had Tommy Agee in center field. Wayne Garrett at third base. Cleon Jones at left field. Art Shamsky, right field. Ken Boswell batting fifth, playing second base. Don Clendenin batting 6th at 1st base, Jerry Grody batting 7th catching, Bud Harrelson batting 8th pitching, and Tom Terrific on the mound batting ninth. Now, the game, as I mentioned, has gone down in history as the Black Hat game, while the Cubs slugger Ron Santa was on deck. A Black Cat appeared on the field and walked around him over toward the Cub dugout. The Cat scampered, glanced in the dugout, and moved on. Now, in a superstitious world, a black cat is bad luck. On a baseball field, well, for the Cubs, it meant doom. And even Ron Santos said, I knew right away we were in trouble. I wanted to run and hide. Now, it was ironic the cat walked by Santo, one of the most arrogant of all the 69 Cubs. Santo had a ritual of clicking his heels after a win that season, something many players, especially the Mets, thought was a Bush League move. Cats had always lived in and around Shea Stadium, especially back in the 60s. Cats would be plentiful and give birth to kittens, and they were also plentiful. It was estimated that the neighborhood cats could reach as many as 40 on a given night at Shea Stadium. Ed Craypool commented the reason for the cats was because there were so many rats, too. The actual game was all Mets. In the first inning, Tommy Agee and Cleon Jones both walk. A Ken Boswell double made it 2-0 Mets. In the third inning, Don Clendenin hit his 13th homer of the year, a two-run shot making it 4 nothing Mets in a wild Shea Stadium. Now, Wayne Garrett added a sack fly in the fourth to make it 5 nothing. In the fifth, Archamsky connected with a solo homer, his 13th of the year. 
In the seventh, Ken Boswell singled with two outs. Don Condon was hit by a pitch, and that's the way it was back then. But Jerry Grody answered back. He took Ferguson Jenkins' fastball and doubled to right field, scoring Boswell. Seaver rolled along. He allowed just one run, an RBI single to Santo, who did have some luck that night. In the ninth, Seaver got Paul Popovich to pop out, and Billy Williams got to fly out to right field. Then Ron Santo collected his second hit of the night. Seaver got Willie Smith to fly out to right field. Zarchamski made the catch. Jerry Grody ran to the mound to congratulate Seaver on the fine victory. On the night, Seaver struck out just five, walked only one, and he had only five hits, earning his 21st victory in his first Cy Young Award season. It was the Mets' fourth straight game win, and they were now just a half game behind the Cubs. Now, how popular is this game in Met history? Well, you know, outside City Field, they have all the plaques on the walkway commemorating big highlighted games. Well, the Black Cat game is one of those games that's honored outside the City Field on the walk. So, it is a game that will live on forever. Hey, 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 and now let's talk about what's going on in the greatest New York Mets baseball Facebook group there is, New York Mets Baseball YOI. If you're a Facebook person, art a member of the group yet, please do join. We'd love to have you. Great content and good, serious, hardcore Met talk every day in the group. Also, if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, please do subscribe. You can reach us at uh, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. Uh, and we're the podcast. So subscribe with your favorite carry and you'll get updates every day. And if you ever need to reach out to me, please, please reach out at philstan41 at gmail.com. Once again, it's philstan41 at gmail.com. Now, what are some of the things we're talking about? Well, we mentioned that Rich Hill had a 4.32 ERA or his first four starts with the Mets. In his three starts since then, he's got a 1.59 ERA. We also mentioned the Mets are 1-11, the last dozen games that were decided by one run. Now, if they were just 500 in those games, they'd be in first place right now. Harvey Paris, Porras, our good friends, had signed a bad team and manager, and I agree. We also know that since the start of the LA Dodgers series on August 13th, Pete Alonso is hitting 326, 387, 642, with seven homers, five doubles, and two triples. And it should be noted that among the fastest players to 100 homers in terms of games, Pete Alonso is number two, getting 347 games, almost catching number one, Ryan Howard at 340. Now, players to hit at least 100 homers in their first three career seasons, Albert Pujols, 114, Ralph Kiner, 114, Eddie Matthews, 112, Cody Bellinger, 111, Mark Deshera, 107, Joe DiMaggio, 107, Ryan Brown, 103, and Pete Alonzo, 101 so far. And it must be noted that Pete Alonzo did that in a 60-game season last year, so he could very well have been the all-time leader. What else is going on in the group? Always good stuff. We asked, should Willie Rojas be fired? 90% of you said yes. Ron Rodgadamowitz says, end of the year, do a class. So keep him on the payroll as a bench coach next year. Dave Dickey says, there needs to be a major front office overhaul, and the new regime should pick a new manager. And Sandy is done. And I asked, 
Would you re-sign Javier Baez for a five-year, $125 million contract? 57% of you said yes. Ron Davis said he would want five years, 150. Jason Lynch says 145 Baez would be a steal compared to Lindor's 341. The big free agent shortstop class this year has and his desire to play at Lindor may work in our favor. And I agree with uh, Mr. Lynch. He's one of our best. He's one of our best when it comes to that. Glenn Scherer, when I asked the question, said, four years, $100 million. Jason Lynch went on further when I asked the question directly. He said, very tempting. No, he said yes, but where is Mauricio going to play in two years? Batty will be a third baseman by next June. Canel will be DH next year. Smith Davis and Camille are all candidates to get moved. He's one well. Right field will be vacant. It can afford a walks. But I think he may come back on a qualifying offer. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. I don't think Florida's going to get the big bucks he wants. Otherwise, uh, Jason went on and said, I think they'll negotiate with Baez, but with all the options, and the Mets won't have to overpay when they consider all the options. I agree 100%. And as always, that's some of the great stuff that's going on in the group. Uh, oh, we mentioned that uh, we talked about Bill Dennehy and Harvey Porras. Brought up another good point. He came up to the Mets in 67, 1-7 after the season. Was traded to Washington for manager Gil Hodges. That and sharing Tom Seaver's rookie card are his claims to fame. That's exactly how I remember him, Harvey. And uh, David J. Rubin says he also co-authored a book about his life with the excellent Peter Golenbeck. And that is on my to-do list as far as reading. I checked it out of the library about a year and a half ago. And I didn't get the chance to read it. Now I kind of regret it. So now I want to dig back into that book. And that's some of the good stuff that's been going on in the group. So if you're not a member, hop on board. We'd be glad to have you. And please subscribe to the podcast. Okay, you hear that music. It can only mean one thing. It's time for Mets Jeopardy and Mets Baseball Trivia Question. We're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to give you the answers and the questions all within the same segment. So after I give the questions and clues, you can pause, think it out, and then just start up again. I think it makes it more coherent that way. We'll see how it goes. So remember to pause after I read them both, figure it out, and then play on it for the answers. Here's today's Mets Final Jeopardy. Selected by the New York Mets organization in the second round of free agent draft on June 5th, 2012. Second clue, called up to the Mets during the 2015 NLDS to replace the injured Ruben Tejada, and in doing so became the first player in modern baseball history to be added as a to a postseason roster in the middle of a series without previous major league experience. So once again, the clue is second selected by the New York Mets organization in the second round of the free agent draft in June 5th, 2012. Called to the Mets during the 2015 NLDS to replace the injured Ruben Tejada, and in doing so became the first player in modern baseball history to be added to a postseason roster in the middle of a series without previous Major League Baseball experience. Now, the trivia question provided by our good friend and baseball historian, Met historian Harvey Porter says, which pitcher holds the Mets record for most wins in a season without a loss? Once again, the trivia question is, which pitcher holds the Mets record for most wins in a season without a loss? Okay, like I said, we're going to do a little bit different. So if you still haven't figured it out, pause here. If you have, we're giving you the answers now. The answer to our final Jeopardy, traded by the New York Mets to the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange 
Whoops, wrong one. Wrong one. Selected by the New York Mets organization in the second round of the free agent draft on June 5, 2012, and called up to the Mets during the 2015 NLDS to replace the injured Ruben Tejada. In doing so, he became the first player in modern baseball history to be added to a postseason roster in the middle of a series without previous Major League Baseball experience. Well, the correct answer is, who is Matt Reynolds? And guess who got it right? Our Jeopardy whiz, Jason Lynch. Congratulations. Now I sound like uh, Elmer Fudd. Congratulations to Jason Lynch. And our trivia question was, which pitcher holds a Met record for most wins in a season without a loss? Well, the answer to that one is Pat Mahomes, who went 8-0 for the New York Mets in 1999. Congratulations to, guess who? Jason Lynch. So, uh, clean sweep for Jason, as always. It seems like it happens more often than not. But thanks for all for participating, and we'll be back tomorrow with more baseball trivia and Jeopardy. Okay, we hear the theme from Kindness Corner in the background. That can only mean one thing. We're wrapping up another great podcast. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. It means the world to me. I love all your feedback, and thanks for being such a great audience. We're growing in numbers all the time, and that's a good thing. So don't forget tonight, we close the series against the Marlins for coming home to face our crosstown rivals, the Yankees. But tonight, we got a game at 640 at Lone Depot Park in Miami. It'll be on WPIX if you want to watch the game in the New York area. It'll be Marcus Stroman, 9-12. and 12. He does not deserve to have 12 losses, does he? With a 2.93 ERA and a 136 strikeout total. He'll be going against Jesus Lazardo. He could be tough. His ERA is deceiving. He's 5 and 7 with a 7.0 ERA and 71 Ks. Let's win this one. Let's get back on track. And still got to believe we're playing meaningful baseball in September. And that's what we wanted, isn't it, folks? So enjoy the day. It's a little wet here in the New York area. Stay dry. And root our Metsies on tonight at 640. Talk to you tomorrow.